Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, (laughs) the hotel series, as well as the recently released Pretty Ugly. Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martin, author of the Bourbon Books. And today we are joined by special guest and one of my all-time favorite authors, Carol Goodman. And she's going to be talking about her new release, The Stranger Behind You. Uh, <laughs> but we'll probably also just talk about like how um, weird and neurotic we are, because that's what we've been talking about for the past 10 minutes. Welcome, Carol. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. And I'm sorry, I just realized that my AOL was still on, so I went and silenced that. So I love that you still have an AOL email address. I just I, feel like it's so like retro. Retro chic. That's retro what I tell my students. That's what it's it's because it's Roman. Well, let me just give you every the world my email address. I was gonna say, are you gonna give us all your email address? <laughs> you just about did. That was awesome. <laughs> it's, it's um but it's 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 a particular two set of names with no numbers after it. So yes. if I tried to get it on any other server, it would be such and such, two hundred and eleven, and right, you know, and it's and my you, first you, email address, <laughs> and you ha- and it's a great email address. It is. I'm like, oh, that's so good. Um, <laughs> you know, it, and I know you wouldn't be able to get it anywhere else because, mm-hmm. no. um, not that I tried to get an email address like yours, but <laughs> I would just say one of the words in your email address is the name of my spouse okay we're gi- we've given half of it yeah I, w- I was gonna i was gonna say when i've tagged you carol on certain things i don't it always gets confused because i'm making sure i'm not tagging someone else because it's not your name at all so i will sometimes say <laughs> tag you and then say aka carol goodman so people know we're talking about you <laughs> and then the other word is this is because we've, we've just secretly given away your email address and now our viewers are yeah, like there's another tab open okay it's gone. <laughs> either they're emailing you or there's a security breach going on because someone's hacked you in which case Jen is very sorry. I'm very sorry. <laughs> sorry I'm so I was thinking before earlier today, I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing this great talk at 6 p.m. And I'm like, oh, this is and this will be so much fun. And and they're casual and they encourage cocktails. So I was like, I'm looking forward to this. So thanks for <laughs> <laughs> well, I was so excited. You've been on our show before. Uh you were on our show like a year ago. And you were a guest, I feel like, because I stalked you on the internet (laughs) and just like flat out asked you. So then this time your publicist approached me and said, would you like to have Carol Goodman on your show? And I'm like, I would love that. She's been on my show before. And she was like, what? Like, <laughs> perhaps I had moved her in. <laughs> I know, because I've done that before with my publicist too. Like yeah. I just say yes to something. Sorry. And then he's like, did I book that? And I'm like, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> Um, so Carol, this book, The Stranger Behind You, was released on July 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this. I know the date very well because I wanted to release my book on that day. And then I said, I can't release my book on the same day as Carol Goodman. <laughs> so I didn't. I pushed mine back a week. Um, oh. So tell us a little bit about this. We both read it. Both loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so, The Stranger Behind You, I think I have a copy here somewhere too. Yes. It's um, behind you. 
It's behind me, lurking and <laughs> stalking me. Um, so it starts with um, Joan Laurie is a, is a young uh, journalist, and she has written an expose um, exposing a, a prominent um, journal, a prominent prominent owner of a newspaper um, of being a sexual predator. So this is a Me Too story. And the night that the story goes live, she her, her magazine editor gives her a party and she goes home. And when she goes home, she's attacked um, in her apartment and she wakes up the next day. She doesn't know what, what happened to her. So she, in the, the post-traumatic stress of that, she, um, she, finds she needs to find a safe place to be and she ends up um she asks alexa what's the safest apartment in new york and she gets the answer is the refuge which is a um pre-war beautiful pre-war apartment building on the upper way upper west side in the, in the neighborhood of inwood um and then she, so she moves in there finds out that it originally had been a magdalene refuge um, and she befriends a 90 something year old neighbor who had been an inmate in the Magdalene refuge. And then, um, somebody else comes and moves into the building mm. as well. So mm. it's kind of a meet story with a, um, background of this Magdalene refuge. Um, so it has this historical 1941 story running parallel to the contemporary story. Um, I, I always love the way you blend the past and the present in your work. Like I just, it's like one of the reasons why you're one of my automatic buys. Like anytime I hear you have a book coming out, I'm just like, oh, it doesn't matter. I, I don't even need to know what it's about. <laughs> I don't need to know the title or the I'll cover. I'll figure it out as I read it. Just like automatic, <laughs> just like this? pre-order it. Um, <laughs> so I was so excited. This is going to sound weird. So excited about this story because like I've always been strangely obsessed with Magdalene laundries and mm-hmm. Magdalene refuges. Um, this also explains why I've vacationed to places like uh, abandoned lunatic asylums and old prisons. So <laughs> I get it. Um, <laughs> um, so I was really um, excited to kind of explore that with you through your writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it also sent me on like a deep dive on the internet to figure out if this building, I know it doesn't exist now, but I found i think i found it yeah yeah and it was gorgeous and i'm like it was did you i don't know if you have a picture of it to put up but i and i somewhere in my files too it was in fact um there was a magdalene refuge in inwood park um it did not uh it did not become a a ritzy apartment building um in fact it, it stopped being a magdalene refuge probably even before in my timeline i have uh, this this woman Lillian was there in the 40s, but I think it stopped in the 30s. Um, but it had been there, you know, before the turn of the century, and it was this, it was described as the. So first of all, I read about it in an article by um, about Michelle Jones, who's an historian, and her work she did work with women's prisons. And when I read about this, I was really shocked that there had been a Magdalene. First of all, that there there were Magdalene laundries in the United States. Yes. Right? 
I and didn't in the I, 1900s. Like, they're associated with Ireland, is that right? Because exactly. there was some reference to that later in the book that that's mm-hmm. kind of where they, they originated. So maybe that the New York one's kind of an anomaly. Is that is that fair to well, say? It's not actually. There were Magdalene laundries throughout the United States, oh, which wow. I completely did not know about. Um, I forget how many, but there were quite, you know, maybe over a hundred throughout the country. Um, so again, and they were different from the Irish ones in, in some significant ways, but they, they existed here. So that was shocking to me. And then shocking that it was in Inwood because I have a connection with that neighborhood. My husband actually grew up, um, in a neighborhood very close by and he actually still has an apartment there that he uses as an office. And both my daughters, my daughter and my stepdaughter live in Inwood. So I spend <laughs> a fair amount of time in Inwood and my husband has kind of always been interested in the history. So I said, do you know about this Magdalene laundry in Inwood? And he said, I have never heard of it. And he said that, you know, he, he got out like these old history books of the neighborhood and said, and they're not in these books. Uh-huh. And really pulled me in because there was a sense to me of not only the unexpectedness that this existed, but that it had been kind of buried. Yeah. You know, covered it, up. it covered up in living memory um, that this had existed that, and it's no longer talked about. So, um, you know, that set me going, uh, there was also a personal thread that sort of fed into that, but I love the idea of sort of recreating it. And, you know, what if it still was there? What if it was still an Inwood park, which it totally is not. It's totally not. But if it was, it would be, uh, an expensive apartment. Mm -hmm. It really would, especially because Inwood's like the new neighborhood in New York Mm -hmm. where it's like, it's becoming the place to be. Um, again, when I fell down the rabbit hole of the stranger <laughs> behind you, and I, I spent like multiple hours researching lots of Magdalene laundries, and then and then the Inwood neighborhood, and then I realized I really probably should be working on my own book right now. <laughs> Are you my sequel? Because you probably know more about it than I do now. But the yeah, it's it is a great, it's an interesting neighborhood and and really fascinating history. And I love I'm I'm a sucker for like um historic New York City apartment stories, especially mm-hmm. with a sinister right. edge. I feel like I was like broken by Rosemary's Baby and mm-hmm. like every other book that has even like remotely that kind of thing going on. I love it. Just like, yeah. give me imagine. a good creepy <laughs> apartment. <laughs> yes. And and it's um well creepy buildings I think, you know, are probably our jam. <laughs> um and so it's interesting a weak spot. That, yeah, that sense of um you know, and also I think it's a way of looking at the Gothic in a slightly different way is, you know, the, the, and Rosemary's Baby is one of my absolute favorite books and movies. Yeah. Yeah. Going, going all the way back. So I will, um, bef- I, I'm sorry, I'm like dominating this conversation. I'll have like one oh. last thing and then, um, uh, then we can start talking about our neuroses again. <laughs> um, so I like that you just said it was another way of looking at the Gothic. Um, Because your work does tend to have like a gothic tendency to it and like Mm -hmm. a historical tendency. And this book, while it had those things, still it felt so modern, Mm -hmm. like even more modern than like your other work so far. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it was because of Me Too or Mm -hmm. if because, um, you know, people were talking to Alexa, (laughs) you know, and uh, it just made me feel like it was so real, Mm -hmm. like it's something. So was that a conscious effort on your part to say like, let's make it 
more tech. Uh huh. Well, you know, I guess I was, um, I don't how I was led into that is, uh, the, the main, well, there are two narrators, uh, Joan, the reporter, and then an older woman, Melissa, um, who's the wife of the sexual predator. Um, so having a young character, I just knew it, it had to be. Um, and I do like the, um, the juxtaposition, I guess one of the books that kind of influenced that in terms of thinking about the Gothic, um, was um oh now i'm forgetting the, the there's one that's set in sort of a smart house and i'm forgetting the oh. author's name um so maybe someone could think of what that it, it's at, it's oh, it's got a great sort of modern house and uh, i'm also some of ruth ware's work where she I think, <sighs> brings in so i'm interested to think about like what is the modern version of the gothic and one of the things um Oh, now it's going to kill me. That I don't remember that the name of that other book. But one of the things I thought about was that in the Gothic, you know, you, you're, there's always the room that the heroine is in. And the problem is she can't lock it. Um, I think this is true in the Mysteries of Udolfo, where she goes up to her room and she's trying to lock her door so she'll be safe. And, it, it you know, there's no, there's no key. She can't lock it. So she's vulnerable. And then also that she finds that there's a, a secret passageway that, that has there's the back door. Right. There's yeah. access. That's such a gothic thing. And I think um, when I was thinking about that a, year, a couple of years ago, I thought, well, that's kind of like the open door for us is the Internet. Right. That we're, you know, th this little camera that's, you know, recording us now. Um, <laughs> and, and all the people now have my email address. That um, <laughs> that's that's kind of a um, a modern equivalent of the vulnerability of the, you know, the door we cannot close. And so I think it's fun to sort of play around with, I love, I mean, I just, you know, I love every creaky old house. I love every mansion and woman fleeing from it in white nightgown. But I'm also, I was like, there's something about this that, you know, what is the modern equivalent of this? And what is the, um, how does that translate for us now? You know, what are the perils women face now? What are, you know, even with all our gadgets, you know, how are we still vulnerable? Or how do our gadgets make us vulnerable? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say when you said, how do our gadgets make us vulnerable? Because we watch this person go from, okay, I'm not safe here. I need to go to a safer location. Mm -hmm. And then she brings in all these things that end up opening more doors and making her more vulnerable in ways that she doesn't even know she's vulnerable. Yeah. And everything from how the email and her computer is being used or used against her and access mm -hmm. to the house and even even cameras like our little mm -hmm. cameras here and how those are being used, all of those things wrapped together. And you did that very, very well, but I like that you had an older character and a younger character because their mm -hmm. approaches were so different. And although I will resent that I'm closer in age to the older character. Well, I was going to say that when she said there's an older character. And I, was like, I think she, she was my age. <laughs> she, she's a friend of mine who is a romance writer. She's what we call faux old. You know, <laughs> Bo old. <laughs> old is where you, you want a character representing an older woman, but your editor tells you that, no, she can't be over 40. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. That hurt right there. Oh. Oh. No, no, no. Believe me. I'm closer to Lily in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just telling me the 90-year-old is more relatable. That, yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah, the so old. Yeah, the editor saying, no, you can't have somebody over 40 is such an amazing thing to also happen during the Me Too movement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
just a touch. Like, oh, oh, that hurt. And, and when hurt I was my old heart. Right. And when I was trying to tag this in post, I didn't want to give away too much. And I wasn't even sure if I should specifically do like the hashtag me too, because also I didn't want anybody thinking that Carol had been accused of something or was accusing anybody. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know how this is gonna come back to bite me. So I'll be careful here. But the fact that you have this issue and then showed how it's both in the cultural zeitgeist now. And yet is so not new, even a little bit by tying right. together these different narratives. Right. It, it just showed that, okay, there really is nothing new going on. That, and the problems that people faced in the 40s continued on through. And they just look a little different now. Right. Right. And that women have been dealing with this stuff for forever. Forever. It, it's, it's, not, forever. it's not a new thing at all. No. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's just... It's refreshing that we can openly talk about it now, mm-hmm. it, you know, to, to just, to, because we all know everybody has a story. And I feel like this book was personal to you because didn't, I, I believe you wrote about like your mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's in your afterword or you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. So no, I, I've, I've written about that and that along with the, um, you know, thinking about the Magdalene laundry of, of really the inspiration for the book came, um, when I was watching Christine, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testify in the Kavanaugh hearings, and she mm-hmm. and I know a lot of women, you know, there were all these posts afterwards of women feeling, you know, crying at her testimony and, and yeah. providing their own story. And for me, I, I cried during it, but I was thinking about my mother who had died uh, a few two years before that. And she had told me that she had been um, sexually assaulted in a hospital when she was 18, but she told it to me, she told me stories. Oh, she, I grew up on all of her stories and um, she had a lot of traumatic things happen to her, but that story was kind of, you know, she told very almost lightly and sort of later. And she didn't really, you know, she didn't attribute a lot to that. Um, but, after, but listening to Christine Blasey Ford talk about the sequelae, the after effect, the post-traumatic yes. stress effect of her, of the attack she had um, suffered I realized that was my mother. My mother had this, you know, horrible, this crippling anxiety all of her life and stuff with the light on all of her life. Um, and she was claustrophobic and would shake when I would take her to a doctor. And I realized listening to that, I was like, my mother had this post-traumatic stress from this assault. And I never really had put it together before. And that's when I, I, I realized that I wanted to and write about the the aftermath of that and a, a woman of a generation who I may have been the first person she told about that you know yeah. she was ashamed yeah. of when it happened and you know it's not something she would have gone around telling people she may have told I don't know she may have told a couple other people but um I got the sense when she told me that you know that this was new to her to tell it to somebody yeah. I mean it's a my mother also had been um, assaulted and abused as a child. And yeah, she never talked about it Mm -hmm. until much later in her life. And then at first she did the same thing. She just kind of like, almost like apologized for it. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, um, and it's just like, it's amazing. Like the, the, uh, the aftermath Mm -hmm. of that, not just on the person, but like on their, like everybody around, like, so your mother, Mm -hmm sleeping with the light on shaking when you bring her to a doctor like mm-hmm. that is that has created something in you yeah like yeah. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's what I grew up with, and and the um, you know, I probably inherited a lot of her anxieties, um, either through <laughs> genetics or through you know being raised yes. by that. So it did make me think about intergenerational trauma, exactly. Um, and you know, sort of trauma beyond the grave, if that's not given. You know, what how long lasting that is, how it would, um, you know, and what the the effects might be through time, and how somebody might you know achieve you know, finally some sort of closure. And of course, my mother was gone by the time I was thinking of this. Um, and I've used her, I've used elements of her life in quite a number of my books. Um, I probably, a, a cousin asked at a reunion, um, well, you know, have you ever thought of writing about your mother? And I was like, every book I write is about my mother. People I don't know about that very too. well. They were just like, you should write your mom's story. I'm like, <laughs> I have been. <laughs> it's all, you know, just breaking it down in many different facets, right? It's like, would you like me to highlight the portions that are specifically biographical, but I like to write more headlines? Ta-da! Ta-da, here they are. But I like that you talked about the intergenerational aspect because you mm-hmm. also address that with your, your faux old character <laughs> and, and how, and, and as a parent, I saw this a lot in that, someone may choose to do something that isn't necessarily in their own best interest in order to protect children or Mm -hmm. try to stop that trauma from kind of infecting that generational line and how they might go about doing that and that constant awareness. And then even, well, how would the mother feel about this? And how would the mother worry about her children going through this? And you have that both with your full older character, but also Mm -hmm. you've got your, your journalist character has a relationship with her mother as well. Right. So you kind of see it from both angles, mm-hmm. both ways. And I, yeah. I, thought, I thought you handled that really well and just bringing that in added a depth to it that a lot of times you don't get in thrillers where they're almost microscopically fixated on the one person going through it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody who goes through any kind of trauma where it doesn't infect people around them in some right. way. Right. And, and certainly as a parent, you're aware that you know, this is this is having an impact on on my children, mm-hmm. and and for my uh, let's just call her Melissa instead of the faux old, old lady, <laughs> Melissa. Especially because uh, she's only a little bit older than me, and yeah. that that name was super common in my generation. So giving uh-huh. Melissa being the old person name is just like, wait a second. No, you don't. I was really in my brain picturing her like so much older than she was until at one point it's like as a 46 year old or whatever. I think she's right. just like, like 48. She's, I, yeah. I was like, oh, she's young. <laughs> I think she really started out older and had to sort of, I think she had to back down for some logistics. So, you know, full disclosure. Um, I thought of her, I probably thought of her as a little bit older as well. Um, but yeah, she, you know, so she has to really, and, and what she has to cope with is I think, um, you know, being the wife of somebody who's accused of, of being a sexual predator. Um, you know, we always wonder, I think, you know, how much did that woman know and what effect might this have my choices have had on my children? Um, so, you know, her journey, I think, and she, as, and the other very important thing about Melissa, when I started writing her point of view, at first I was like, I didn't, I didn't start out writing. I was just from Joan's point of view, the younger woman, um, in the beginning of the book. But the problem was Joan, you know, has this little PTSD problem and, and really doesn't go out much. And this is before <laughs> COVID. And, you know, she goes to that apartment and starts ordering Grubhub and, you know, um, it would seem timely to be correct. Yeah. <laughs> I had to look a lot of this up, you know, <laughs> what, what are the hip people look, you know, <laughs> the younger people order. 
And but I after and then she meets Lily and you know the the neighbor next door and I realized uh oh this book is going to be it's eternal her apartment (laughs) talking to an old woman while ordering grub up somebody has to get out and you know do something and Melissa right away I realized uh, although there were things I just thought okay so I need this other point of view and and I thought you know I wasn't sure you know what it would be like writing her but one of the things I loved about her right away is she just gets out there. You know, she goes and does things and, you know, doesn't have that. Uh, she's not stuck in the apartment and she's competent. She's good at getting things done. And so that immediately that to me gave her um, an appeal and just made her more interesting. You know, she's somebody who can, you know, and she's also now outside of her comfort zone because she's yeah. lived in a yeah. neighborhood she never would have lived in and uh, riding the subway, which wasn't something she always did. And meeting a lot of young people. And I thought that was, you know, like women in their um, 20s. So all the millennial characters that sort of passed through are old versions of my daughter and stepdaughter and my niece, <laughs> versions of them. And, yeah. I, I figured, I loved like the Instagram parts where you're like, oh, this is her there. When you were describing like the millennials Instagram feeds, mm-hmm. I was just right. like, yes. Urban Explorer. Tea enthusiast. I'm like, I think I've seen these people's actual profiles. I think somebody somewhere is mad at you, Carol, for just ripping some of that straight. Well, (laughs) all my daughter's fellow waitresses at uh, at the tea shop that she worked at pre-COVID. Because I, she, and actually, my daughter worked with. So, how would you, um, how would you track down if you wanted to (laughs) find somebody? And she, she actually talked me through that entire part. And I, I I did go to the Instagram. account of her tea parlor and and read enthusiasts and, and urban explorers which wasn't afraid i'm also an urban explorer so i was excited about that i'm like yay my weird hobby just got a mention in a carol Goodman book. but i feel like the more i turn into a faux older age the less urban exploring i do because i used to just be like who cares if this building's abandoned we get arrested who cares if i fall through the floor and now and i'm just like this, but landing yeah. on something and now rusty. i'm just like oh that floor looks weird let's not go in and like, now if you fall you break your hip so it's not good no. I, don't, I don't think either of you are in that category so you don't know how brittle our bones are <laughs> that and we've all been inactive for covid so everything's kind of just you know wilted in on itself and all of us i used to be a dancer and now i'm just like now i'm just basically i am your character joe and i just like sit inside my house and uh i think we all became joan so it was yeah. one of the rereading and editing the book um, at one point, the book originally, it's set in 2018 now. I mean, that's the, the, the published book is. And originally I did have it set in 2018. But what, as you probably know, what, you know, what sometimes happened is when the book's ready to come out, you know, you, you bump it up a little bit and turn, you know, and let's make it as contemporary as possible. But when my editor and I looked at that, we were like... <laughs> You nope. can't make it 2020 because that's not what the world looked like. No, and you can't even make it 2021 because then everybody's like, well, yeah, she lives in her apartment and never comes out. We all do. And none, and some of us never wanted to come back out. So you, you don't even want somebody who's lived through that because then there's a whole new level of PTSD from COVID that nobody wants to put in there. So yeah, that message is we, we were going to make it 2019 and actually had through a draft until the copy editor said there's a a um epilogue that takes place the following spring and we're like oh, yeah. 
<laughs> there was no oh, yeah. in 2020. No exactly. <laughs> so, didn't happen. Yeah. No, we are happen. still and weirdly in the depths of winter of 2020. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it never stopped. It's never stopped. It's fine. It's fine. We're all, but we're healthy. Three people healthy right here. Yes. Cheers okay, to that. Cheers to that. Um, I loved Melissa as a character. <laughs> and uh, she's not easy to like, but I f- loved her. <laughs> I, I didn't did. like her, wow. but I loved right, right. her. Good. Um, so I'm so glad that you did the multiple POV. So I could just, mm-hmm. we could get into her head for a little while, even though I was physically screaming at her <laughs> while reading the book on the exercise bike, which is... <laughs> how I do COVID now. Yeah. Like, I was going to say that's probably good for your cardiovascular system for that lung yeah. expansion. Yeah. Anger. Yeah. yeah. Get the heart going. No, but she's, <laughs> she's an interesting character. Cause when you're saying she's competent at doing stuff and like, and you mean having people do things for her that maybe she shouldn't be having them do. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I loved seeing how she, even in a new place and in a new system, kind of figures out how to manipulate all the different systems she goes through. Uh, and, and, the doorman. Yes. yes. And, and, and watching her become more self-aware as things go on. But at some point, I'm not sure she ever got to the point where she realized, yeah, maybe some of the things and the ways I manipulate systems and people might be something that isn't an admirable quality, even if it has been helpful to this okay. date. But maybe that's something I should look at changing. Baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> baby steps. I'd like I, to think I, that she's seeing a good therapist now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and, and a good Reiki master and, <laughs> and, and Hi, Daniel. getting the work done, you know, and, and yeah, no, I think she's, um, I think she's progressing and, you know, has grown through her. She's healing. <laughs> she's healing, has a better relationship with her children. Uh, lives in a new neighborhood. Now I think I think she's doing. I think she's doing well. Um, but it's yes, and I don't think you know. It's she. No, not everything. Not every bit of her entitlement or is <laughs> all gone. Um, but yeah, no, I liked it. I, it, it. She was a challenge to write, um, and she was also just fun to write because, like anything that I mean, there are many qualities I gave her. Like at one point, she says. Um, you know, she makes the observation, you know, you want something more, someone else wants it. Yes. And, and she compares it to, you know, you're, you've been looking at something on a website and all of a sudden it's sold out. And then it's like, oh my God, I have to have it. Yeah. And she describes then like calling stores. Mm-hmm. And like, I may have done that once or twice. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I have, <laughs> I, I have a vague memory of doing this. And again, this is like hitting close to where your book is like over a Burberry purse. <laughs> it's like what do you mean it's sold out i must have it now I know, well I and i just... feel like this this shows how different people respond to things because i know for me if i want something and i'm not sure about it and then i go back and it's gone that's when i realize i really did want it because mm-hmm. that i'm mad but it's all internal it's all like why didn't i do this why didn't and that's why i have massive fomo and make really bad decisions because <laughs> i have those kind of still taunting me that hey remember that time when you didn't act limited time offer so you do it and then you wholly regret the entire endeavor and it, what are you gonna do but because i've never gone on the phone and gone go track down that thing for me it's just gone i'm never gonna get it this is why my <laughs> wardrobe is ridiculous now because i never say no <laughs> i'm like that gown is gorgeous we've been locked down for 
a year and a half. Am I going to an event where I need a gown? No. Did I buy a gown? Yes. Yes. (laughs) You deserve it. Why aren't you wearing it on our show? I mean, because we've been in lockdown, I can't fit into it now. (laughs) Well, there's that problem. I was going to say for our anniversary show, I did wear a gown that I purchased because I'd only worn it, I think, twice. And I'm going, when else am I going to wear purple sequins? Yeah, <laughs> no one cares if I'm wearing it now, so I did. Yeah, no, it's it's. You I, can with I your wore my burlesque stuff. jewelry. Like I was just like, <laughs> we're doing stuff. We're we're all dressed up. Yeah, fancy. So a little, there's a little Melissa in in all of us. I, I like. The- I think, <laughs> and in some people, there's a lot of Melissa. There's a lot of Melissa, and I grew up in amongst a many many Melissas. So. Uh, I am uh, akin to that. There's part of me that's there. And that's why you like, understood the voice so well. You I could did. Just I mean, I it. did. Even though there were times I felt like I was, you know, making. Well, it was fun to do the juxtaposition between what Joan sees as a, um, you know, a twenty-something living, you know, uh, hand, you know, with very little money in the city, and Melissa, who's been living in a fancy house in Westchester. So there are. Uh, so they both think about Inwood. You know, Joan's like, wow, this is, you know, this apartment is the most luxurious I've ever been in. And this is such a cute neighborhood. And Joan's like, what a dump. You know, I can't believe I have to live here. Her her response to the linen closet, I think, which is like, uh, I could even fit. And then she lists like how many duvets she can fit. How many duvets do you have that aren't already on a bed? And she's like, "Uh, I couldn't even fit this many duvets in there. That was such a, wow. And then I was thinking, you have a linen closet. Yeah. Yeah, the apartment, as I'm sure I, I've fed a lot of, uh, you know, Manhattan real estate lust by by talking about apartment, an apartment like that, which is just completely out of reach of most people. But there are those lovely, I was going to say before, you know, the um, so Inwood, that park is just a park now. There are no fancy apartment buildings there. But just on the next bridge, you have the cloisters. And then you have, you know, going south, you have then... Um, the Washington Heights and you have, there, there are some beautiful Gothic um, apartment buildings yeah. there. So I felt like I had enough precedent to sort of bring them, bring them up. Yes. Well, and I didn't do the deep dive because I figured with some of the details you were including, it couldn't be a real place that people currently were living at, or you would end up getting sued because they're like, mm-hmm. there are no security breaches like that. And our doormans <laughs> would never, doormans, doormans, <laughs> they would never. It People can't happen. just escape up onto the roof out of like a weird back staircase. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You probably yeah. would not make code, and uh, some some co-op board would be would be coming for me. Oh, the co-op Possibly. boards. Yes, they, they would. They would. But for a couple extra hundred, we can make that go away. <laughs> <laughs> so no, yeah, it couldn't. It, it couldn't exactly be a real place. But I did want to. I did picture it every. You know, I pictured where it was in the park and the Irish bar she goes to. There is actually a restaurant um uh indian road cafe right where in that same location uh where black rose is with uh where the black rose is yeah so so that was fun it was fun making up um restaurants it was also fun poignantly as i was writing it you know especially and doing the edits during covid to like at one point um i was working with my you know much younger editor and she was like 
is we were like, where would Melissa go to launch? And and so, you know, we went back and forth and my editor said, oh, there's this Bouvet. It's this lovely French. And I'm looking it up going like, I want to go to Bouvet. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go anywhere. <laughs> right. So I kind of like lost talking about going down a rabbit hole. It's like, looking up all those tea rooms mm-hmm. and places, at the tea room my daughter worked in that she had stopped working in because of COVID. So it was, it was almost that the book became, you know, there was like a lost world of New York. You know, there's the, you know, the refuge, the apartment building I was making up. But as I was, you know, finishing it up and finishing the, doing the edits for it, uh, the whole, you know, New York world felt a little bit like a, a lost world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, even just like the subway scenes Mm -hmm. seemed like almost like right now it's like a ghost story. Like, even though I know everything's opened back up in New York, like I like to me, it still seems so out of reach, like being Mm -hmm. on a subway and like having like, you know, like a creepy man spreader, maybe touching your leg during a blackout. I'm like such a New York thing that happens. And I'm like, nostalgic. I know. I was like, "Oh gosh, I miss that." Yeah. Oh, oh hi. Yeah. I love that picture with her dog. Oh my gosh, Paula <laughs> is my amazing, lovely agent, and oh, she's great. She's I, I, we have met. I think it's awesome. been yeah, So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, maybe you'll come back sometime. Well. <laughs> I actually was looking at registering for Crime Bake and and hoping that it was you know all still going to it. Is, well, we're happen. you know we're we're planning an in person event with an online component. So okay. even if because uh, nobody knows what's happening, um, that would be great to have you there. Then we could like drink in person. Wow. As <laughs> <laughs> like. Paula's like Jennifer. Don't make it be about the drinking. <laughs> you know what? Why not? It, it can include the drinking, but yeah. it's not about the Your drinking. It's not about the drinking. It's about the connection and talking amongst authors, which is so yeah. much fun. Thank you. Which is like why we do the show. <laughs> Paula's like we're signing for Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh, Carol. Honestly, like every time you're on the show, you're such a joy. This is now your second time. You're our first guest that's come back twice. Wow. We have, we have another two-timer coming up in like a couple months. And that's oh, Wendy like, Webb. I think you know say, Wendy. Oh, Wendy Webb. Oh, one of my favorite, 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 favorite. Two-timer is a bad phrase. No, we should say repeat <laughs> guest or back <laughs> by demand, not back two-timer. Because uh, that, another that two-timer. like a back. person running around on their significant other. So Yeah, that does. And now yeah. we're back to Carol's book, so. <laughs> I love Wendy. Full Webb. circle. Yes, Wendy's awesome. Um, yeah, she's great. And I love that um you know, talk about the gothic, you know, that she she does that. She makes me want to travel to the Great Lakes. Well, there's that's the whole Minneapolis. Well, I know. There you go. I was like when I was like, oh, Minneapolis, that's Wendy Webb country. Exactly. That's something I could be excited about. That's I've right. been after her to do like tours mm. where like, you know, she can make a little side income, like the Wendy Webb tour of like the, the, the fake haunted the places. Island, island. The little island. Yeah. I, I would go on that. That's all. That's all after that. I'll do, a tour, I'll do a tour of Inwood. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> we're, we're all back. We'll just, <gasps> just walk through the park. 
<laughs> and I'd just be like, this is where the historic Magdalene yeah. refuge was. Yeah. I'm I'm down for all the tea shops and just sampling all the scones as we go through. Oh, the like scones. Love that. Yeah, I love the the tea all the tea shops of New York would be fun. That would be great. More to do. Oh, Carol, I I hate to say goodbye, but we are oh. out of time. Oh. <laughs> um Thank you for being here. As well, always, you, you are amazing. So fun. You you both are like such a delight to be with, and and fun to thank you for reading the book. Thanks for we loved it having me on. Oh, thank you, thank you, Allison. Of course, thank, thank you, you. Uh, to everybody at the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. This has been a copywritten podcast by the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. Next week, stay tuned. We have Megan Collins with. Her new novel, The Family Plot. Ooh. So we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Cheers.